want to do that? Right? Who wouldn't want to change the world if that's what we want to do? So the question then is, if we can't change the world through change.org, where can we change the world or how can we change the world? Is it even possible? Is this even something that we can aspire to, to actually change the world? Well, as we get to the end of this series in James, what we actually see in this final passage in James is James tells us something astounding, that we can actually change the world, that you can be involved in changing the world, and we're going to see more than that as well, changing eternity. So how does he tell us we can do that? How can we change the world? Well, we pick it up from chapter 5, verse 13. He says this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. How can we change the world? Well, what James is going to show us is we can do it through two things. The first one through prayer, which we're going to spend most of our time on this morning. And then secondly, through our pursuit of the lost. But we'll spend about as much time as James does on this. He starts in prayer. Starts with prayer here. And what does he say? He says, in every season, pray. Doesn't he? He says, if you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, pray. If you're sick, pray. Whatever season you're in. Wherever you are, whatever you've been up to in this last week, whatever you have planned for the future, wherever you are, in every season, pray. Now, why does James say pray? Why does he say in every season, this is something that should color your life, that should cover your life? What is the big deal about prayer? How come he says in every season, wherever you are, pray? Well, it's got to do with his understanding of prayer. It's got to do with actually the Bible's understanding of prayer. And when we understand prayer, it's actually going to show us why in every season, in trouble, in happiness, in sickness, prayer can be our go-to. And in this, as we think about what prayer is, there's going to be three things that help us see why James wants us to see why prayer should cover every season. It's who we're praying to, it's what we're doing when we pray, and it's what prayer actually does. Okay, so the first question is, who are we praying to? James knows who we're praying to when we pray, because he was there. Remember when they asked Jesus, how do we pray? James was there. He heard Jesus' response, and he heard Jesus say, when you pray, begin with the words, our Father in heaven. James says, we are praying to our Father in heaven. Right now, this is a massive deal for so many reasons. As John talked about before, before his prayer, we can in confidence come to God the Father. Right now, this is, a, this is huge, right? That when we trust in Jesus, when we put our faith in him, believe in his death and resurrection to save us from our sins, we're not just told that we're saved. We're actually told we're adopted into God's family and now the relationship we have with God is like that of a father. This is, this is huge, right? Across the world right now, cultures and religions wouldn't dream of calling God father. 
Right? I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but around the world right now, people wouldn't dare to call God Father because, well, God's God. He created the world. He's powerful. He's to be feared. But he's, this relationship's not like that of a father. But what we have in Scripture, what we have in Christ, is that we can come before God and call him Father. Now, if you've grown up in church, right, we're told as kids, okay, this is how you pray, begin with the words, Heavenly Father, right? Now, I think that's a good practice that we should constantly be teaching. But what can happen is, over time, eventually we just kind of go, okay, that's just part and parcel of being a Christian, right? I mean, we've got this relationship with God that we can call him Father. But we have to see how big a deal this is. We have to see how big a deal it is that we can call God Father. And when we start to see that, we can see why the James then says in every season, pray. Because not only is our relationship with God like that of a father and their kid, right? that's the image that should come to our mind, but, but as we understand who prayer is too, we also start seeing what prayer is not. Right? So prayer is not coming to a genie in a bottle where we get three wishes and then we ask for unlimited wishes and then we only come back when we want something. Prayer is not then also the picture of authority that we fear. You know, like when the police pulls us over, we just hope that our rego is still in due, still in date. We hope that our lights still work. And when they come and talk to us, we kind of go, well, um, I hope that I've done the right thing. And then we think about God and we go, okay, so God is this authority to be feared where I can't really be certain where I stand with him. Prayer is not like that. And it's not this picture of this weird idol where we have to hold beads or stand facing true north. This is not what prayer is. Prayer is to our Father, right? Our God who loves us and cares about us. And practically what this means is that when we come before our Father, we don't need to use big words. We don't need to fake it. We don't need to put up this mask and pretend to be someone we're not. We're coming to our Father. We're praying to Him. So, so this is who prayer is too. And I think when we start understanding that, we start to see why James says this is something you do in every season. Then there's the question of what are we doing when we pray? What are we doing when we pray? Um, I, my dad this year is turning 60, and uh, as that's happening, uh, I'm starting to get, you know, just, I don't know, reminisce a little bit about some memories that we had growing up. And one of them was when mum was uh, away for the night and didn't uh, have dinner on the table or whatever, sometimes dad would take us to Hungry Jack's. Now, um, every time now I drive past that Hungry Jack's, I've got this like, sense of nostalgia that sort of, you know, I remember it for the good times that we had there. I did know that there was something sort of negative going on at the same time because then I'd kind of, you know, mom, are you going out tonight? <laughs> you know, ask that, plead for that to happen. But um, what ended up, as I think about this though, and as I think about the experience that I had with dad at this, I mean, this particular Hungry Jack's, as you think about what happened there, what I started to realize was um, it wasn't about the food in that moment, right? Like, you know, obviously I've eaten out a lot in life. That's what people do. I don't remember every time I've eaten out, but this place I do. And it wasn't just about um, the, the communication that happened, right? Like I wasn't just sitting there going, okay, dad, this is what I need for the next little while. Um, I'm going to need soccer boots. I'm going to need, you know, 
stuff for, no, I never said I needed stuff for school, but I'm, you know, I'm going to need this stuff. It wasn't like that either. When we sat down and we ate together, there was something bigger going on there. We talked to each other, but there was also this encounter, this experience that took place. As dad sat there and asked me and listened to me, I could experience an encounter that he actually cared about me and that he loved me. And when we think about what we do with prayer, that what are we doing when we pray, I think this is a helpful picture because what happens when we pray is we're not simply communicating. Right? We're not simply communicating. Something bigger happens in that moment when we pray. We're not simply saying words to a stranger. Right? We're not simply sending a text message. This isn't a wish list you know, to Coles that we've just filled out online. Something bigger is happening in that moment. Tim Keller, uh, who's a great author and scholar, wrote in his book um, that prayer is both communication and an encounter. So what he was saying is that when we pray, we speak to God, but we also encounter him as God. We experience his love and his kindness and his goodness. He spells it out like this. He says, prayer is the main way we experience deep change. Prayer is the main way that we experience deep change. It's the reordering of our loves. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. Prayer is communication and it's an encounter. We experience God as God. We treat Him as God. And when we pray, it reorders our loves. It puts God in the rightful place. Now, when we understand this, we can see why James says in every season, pray. It's not just when you're in trouble, it's also when you're happy, when you're experiencing joy. In every season, he says, pray. So prayer is to our Father. It's both communication and an experience and an encounter with the God of the universe. But then finally, what does prayer do? The final question, what does prayer do? Right? What does it actually do? Well, James wants us to see here that prayer changes the world. Prayer actually changes the world because God hears prayer and God answers prayer. Now, not always in the way that we want. Sometimes uh, God will answer us yes, sometimes no, sometimes later. Okay, It's normally never verbally, although I'm sure that sometimes it could be. Most of the time, God doesn't verbally answer us with an answer, but it's sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes later. Again, the picture of kids helps here. So uh, I often go and have coffee with my brother and my nephew, Emery. Emery is three years old, and when it's my turn to shout, I buy Emery uh, a baby Chino to make sure that I can establish my rung as favorite uncle, and it works. Now, uh, what happens is they bring out the baby Chino and our coffees, um, but last time we were there, they decided it'd be a good idea to put three marshmallows on the side of that baby Chino. Now, if you have kids, which I don't, but he does, that's not a good thing for three marshmallows. I mean, that's excessive. Surely one's okay in that moment. The deal that Emery has with his dad is that he's got to ask for the marshmallows, right? So he sits there, the three come out, he asks for the first one. You know, Dad, can I have the marshmallow? 
Dad replies, yeah, of course you can. You can have a marshmallow. So he eats, eats the marshmallow. We have a you know, few sips of our coffee. He gets the baby chino all over his face and spills the rest of it on the table. But then eyes off the second two. Okay, and, and sees the second one and goes, okay, um, Dad, can I have another marshmallow? Now, Dad, realizing that maybe two marshmallows in the space of 30 seconds isn't going to be a good thing, but he's not against the idea, so he says, later, right? Later you can have a marshmallow. So we finish our coffees, uh, clean the baby Chino up, and he has that second marshmallow. Then, you know, the conversation dies down, you know, a little while later, but there's still one marshmallow on the, on the table. So Emery, bless him for his nerve, right, like every kid would, asks for that final marshmallow. At this point, though, Dad is not only worried about the crash he will have from the coffee, but the crash Emery will have from the sugar, and so this time says no, right? You, you see the answers there. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes later. That's what parents do. Good parents don't always answer yes. I, I hope if you're a parent this morning, that's not new advice, Good parents don't always say yes. It's not good for the kid if they do, right? Good parents say yes sometimes. Sometimes they say no. Sometimes they say later. But good parents do always respond and do always hear their kids, right? Now, this is true of God as well. When we pray to our Father, God sometimes says later. Sometimes says later, and maybe you've experienced this in your life where you've prayed for something and later on it came through. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes there are moments where we ask for something and God doesn't hear, or he hears our prayers, but he says no for whatever reason. But sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says yes. And this is why James shows us about Elijah. Right? He says there that Elijah was a man, was a person just like everyone else. He prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years and it didn't. And then he prayed that it would rain, and it did. What's the point there? God sometimes says yes. God hears our prayers. James's point here is this. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. When we pray to the God of the universe, he hears us and he answers us. Now, this is like insane Right? Because God is God. He made the world. He created it. He can do whatever he wants. He's not limited by anything. He's not even limited by prayer. God didn't have to design a means in which we can ask for stuff and he gives it to us. All right? He didn't have to do that. He could do whatever he wants at any point that he wants. He could save people. He could heal people. He could do whatever he wants. He could make it rain if he wanted or make it drought if he wanted. He can do whatever he wants. And yet, God has built into this world and the way that we operate a means in which we can pray to this God. And he hears us, and sometimes he says yes. Now, I think the thing is in here, we can't let the fact that sometimes God said no and later burn us so that we don't pray for things. Because right? that's, the, that's the temptation there to go, well, God doesn't answer because he didn't answer it before. That's not true. Right? God does answer, he does hear us, and sometimes he says yes. So when we pray, what does it do? Well, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. So now we can start to see, right, when we have this fuller picture of prayer, why James would say in every season pray. Because prayer is to our Father who loves us and cares about us. 
Prayer is a communication and an encounter with God. And prayer moves the hand that moves the world. So James says, pray. In every season, pray. Are you in trouble? Pray. If this is you at the moment, if you are in trials of many kinds, like the people in chapter 1 of James were in, if you are suffering at the moment, or going through just stress or pressure, or life is just difficult right now, if you're like the oppressed in chapter 5, who are being oppressed just because of their status and their wealth, if you're like the prophets who are suffering for being Christians, as we saw last week, or being God's people, or you're like Job who were just, just was suffering, James says, in trouble, your go-to here is prayer. Pray. See that in this moment of trials, you have a God who loves you and cares about you. You are not alone in this. You might feel isolated. It might feel like you have no one around you that understands. But God does. And he's with you. And so we pray to our Father. We pray honestly. We pray openly. We don't fake it. We don't mask it. We pray to him knowing that he cares about us. And when we pray, we experience his love and his kindness as a God and Father who listens and hears us. And we pray that the trouble would lift. But even if it doesn't, that God would give us perseverance to stand in that trouble. If you're in trouble, James says, pray. Now we see right throughout the Bible examples of how this played out for different people. I mean, in the book of Psalms, you just have to open it up and eventually you'll find someone who, in trouble, prayed. Right? You see this all the time in Psalms. If you don't find the psalm you're looking for, just go a few psalms ahead. Eventually, someone who's in trouble will pray. But we get, I think, the best example of this in Jesus. Right? Because Jesus, when he lived his life, built in moments in his life where he would stop what he's doing and pray. But then on top of that, I mean, probably the best example is actually in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was in trouble where he was facing isolation and was alone and knew what was coming. He knew what betrayal would look like as someone he hung out with the last three years was about to hand him over. Darkness closed in. He was isolated. He was alone. His friends couldn't even stay awake for him. But where did Jesus turn in trouble? He prayed. He prayed to the Father. He encountered God's goodness and kindness and he trusted God and he asked God for the trouble to lift. But even if it wouldn't, that he would stand and he persevered. When you're in trouble, James says, pray. But then he says, when you're happy, pray. In verse 13, the tone changes there, right? When you're happy, pray. Now, I love this because I don't know if you've, if you've been with us in the last nine weeks, James has had a lot of stuff encouraging us to keep going when life is hard. Right? It, it feels like that, the, the kind of the reminder throughout James, you know, when you're facing trials of many kinds, stand firm, know that, you know, Jesus has the crown of life to give you. We have this reminder over and over again of, of life being hard. But now James says, when you're happy, pray, which is good because what he's showing us here is that the mark of a Christian isn't despondency, right? Christians aren't meant to just be the saddest people who are always going through difficulty. It will come for us, and we do need to hear the encouragement to stand firm in that, but there are moments in life when we experience joy and happiness, and in those moments, James tells us where we go. 
we go to God in prayer. We go to the giver of gifts and we celebrate the one who has given us the gifts that we receive that give us happiness. From the biggest things and the best things, like our identity and security being firm in Christ, like our hope being sure, like Jesus coming back and fixing this broken world, when we experience happiness in those moments, we pray. But then to the little things, you experience good food. Celebrate that. Praise God for that food. From good food to good beer to good wine to good coffee to good family and friends to things like arts and creativity and sport and TV. In those moments of happiness, James says where we turn in those moments, we turn to God who has given us those gifts. We don't turn inwards to the gifts. We turn to the giver of the gifts. And when we experience happiness, which we can and do as Christians, our move there is to pray. To pray to the Father who has given us those gifts. To pray to Him who, as we do, we can experience His goodness and His kindness. We pray. And in fact, James doesn't just say pray, though, does he? He says sing praise. Now, you might not be someone that sings a lot. Or you might be someone like me that can't sing, but if you're someone like that, we're commanded here to, pray, to sing praise, to sing songs of praise. Now, I, I think that you could hardly call what I do you know, a song. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you don't like it. Maybe you think, you know what, I, I just can't do it. I can't hit those high notes. But we're called to sing songs of praise when we experience happiness, which is what we do here at Southside. Right? I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when we sing at Southside, we are actually sometimes praying. So sometimes when we sing, the songs that we sing, they are kind of they're declaratory songs where we're kind of encouraging one another and reminding us of the truth. So we, we did that before with the creed, didn't we? we? we kind of reminding each other of the truth. But then there are songs that are actually prayers. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but as we stand and as we sing, we're not just reciting words because that's what you do. We're actually directing those prayers to God. So we're going to have a chance to put this into practice at the end of our service today. We're going to sing two songs. We're going to sing Good, Good Father and pray to Him and praise Him for being our Father and praise Him for the identity that we have in Him. And then we're going to sing Great Are You, Lord which says we pour out our praise. We're going to have a moment to do that. And as we sing those songs, let me encourage you to pray those words, direct those words to God as your Father, as the God that you can experience and encounter in those moments. He says, if you're happy, sing praise. If you're happy, pray. If you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, pray. And then finally, if you're sick, pray. If you're sick, pray. Because prayer moves the hand that moves the world. So when we pray, we have the chance here to change the world. We have the chance here to change the outcome when someone is sick and God can and he does heal people. He does. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. We can be confident when we pray for sick people that they might be healed. Now, there's a few things in in that passage from verse 4. Uh, 14 to 16 there that we kind of just have to quickly go over. Four quick things, actually. The first one is the thing to do with the elders and the oil. Uh, All James is getting at there is the idea that the church leaders should be people who pray for the, the people, right? The people that are under them. 
The church leaders should be praying for the church. That's all that that's getting at. And the oil thing is simply symbolic that this person who's being prayed for in this time is set apart for that moment. Right? This is not something you have to do to receive answers to prayer. It's just something that kind of makes sense, right? That, yeah, the, the leaders would pray for the people. The second thing is, it's not just the elders who receive answers to prayer, right? We kind of already touched on that, but anyone can and should be praying for healing, expecting that God would answer them. That's why we're told about Elijah, right? James didn't have to tell us that he was just a normal person like everyone else, but he was. Everyone can pray. The elders' prayers are no more special than anyone else's prayers. We can all in confidence come to God the Father because of Christ, not because of our church leaders. Right? So that's the second thing. The third thing there is um, it, it kind of feels like or seems like there that what James is saying is that we can expect prayer every time. That we can expect prayer every time. But the key to understanding this is the word faith there because he says prayer in faith will... Uh, Sorry, let me just catch that, exactly what he says there. He says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The key word there is faith, right? And the context of James and the context of the Bible is that when we pray in faith, we're actually handing that situation over to God. God is the one we trust. God is the God of the universe. And God is the one who will do what he wants. Prayer in faith understands that. Prayer in faith understands that God is the one that determines this outcome. Not my prayer. God is not limited to prayer. And then finally, the fourth thing there that we quickly have to understand is what's the deal with sin? Because he talks about sin, like if they've sinned, they'll be forgiven and then confess your sins to each other. What's James getting at there? Well, um, context again helps us here. See, today, if you get sick, who do you blame? We blame the change of weather. We blame the echo. We blame the person who sat in our bubble that was sick and probably should have stayed home. Back in James's time, back in the day, people were known to actually blame sin for sickness. So if you were sick, it's because you've done something wrong was the connection that they've drawn, right? You've sinned against God, so that's why you're sick. Or if you're born with, say, blindness, they would say, well, that's because your parents sinned. Right? That's what they would say. Now, James, uh, sorry, Job and Jesus both undercut this idea, right? Job explicitly spells that out. Jesus says it as well. You can't draw a direct link from sin to sickness. But throughout the Bible, sometimes we see that sin does lead to sickness. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 11, we see this where some people were actually sick because they were mistreating the Lord's Supper. Their sin led to sickness. So how do we understand this? How do we, what do we do with this, right? Because maybe it's kind of this idea that we thought, well, that's old school. That doesn't apply anymore. Well, I think all this simply means is that once again, it's another reminder for us that we need to take sin seriously. That's all it is. It's just another reminder that we need to take sin seriously. Sure, sin could lead to sickness, but ultimately sin leads to something worse than that anyway. The wages of sin is death. Right? So whether it's sickness or death, we need to take sin seriously. So moving through those four things, what does James say? He says, if you're sick, pray. And when you pray, expect God to do stuff. Because prayer moves the hand that moves the world. When we pray for people for healing, we can expect that God would move in that moment. That God would do something amazing. He can do it. And he has done it. 
right? We can expect that. We can believe that. We are praying to the God of the universe and our prayers change things. God is inviting us to be a part of changing this world through prayer. Now, I guess then the question is, how do we do that? How do we then pray for people for healing in that moment? Well, this is where uh, a story from Daniel 3 serves us as a living illustration. It's been a little while since I read it, but going over it this week, in Daniel 3, uh, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who um, were living in a foreign land. And they, so they were God's people. They moved into exile, and they were now in a foreign land. And in that land, the rule of the land was, if you don't fall down and worship this golden you know, god, you'll be killed. I don't know if you can just feel the weight of that for a moment. If you don't fall down and worship another God, if you don't give up on the faith that you have and turn to another God, you'll be killed. Gun to your head, what are you going to do? This is what Christians around the world feel right now in the persecuted church, in places like Iran and Iraq, where, where they're told this every day. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had this. If you don't fall down and worship another god, you'll be killed. Now, the king found out about these guys because they stood firm. They said, we're not going to fall down. The king found about, uh, out about these guys and said, look, if you don't, right, if you don't give up, we're going to kill you. But this is their response here. See these words from Daniel 3. They reply with this, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from it. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Can you see what they're saying there? They're saying in that moment, God can deliver us. He will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. And we're not falling down and worshiping your God. When we pray for healing, we can pray like this. God can, God will, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. Even if he doesn't, He's still God. We can pray for healing, believing that not only God can do that. He's the God who made the world. He can heal. He will do that. We believe that he will do that. He will heal. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. And we still serve him as God. James says, when you're sick, pray. When you're sick, pray. We, we have this invitation here to change the world. Through prayer, we can do incredible things. We can change outcomes. We can pray and God hears our prayer. Now, can you see how in this space then, prayer is not motivated by guilt, is it? Right? Like James doesn't say, okay, come up with a list of what you've been doing in the last week and how you haven't been praying. And then out of guilt, out of that motivation, then make sure you pray. He doesn't say that the motivation here to pray is actually the gift that we have in prayer and the power that we have when we pray and the fact that we are praying to God the Father. And when we grasp this, it's transforming. Right? This is powerful. It transforms us when we realize the gift that prayer is. Right Now, I can say that there have been moments in my life 
where because of my sinful heart, there have been times where I have been burdened by prayer. And I haven't wanted to pray. And I haven't wanted people to pray. And I just wanted to move on from that situation. But I think when we start understanding the power of prayer, of who it's to, of what we're doing when we pray, and of what prayer does, it's transforming. Because when we speak to someone in trouble, then simply, instead of simply saying, okay, I'll pray for you, and then forgetting about it, maybe we stop and we pray for that person in trouble. And as we pray, maybe that person couldn't have experienced God for themselves because they couldn't get the words out to pray for themselves. But in that moment, as we pray for that person in trouble, we can together experience and encounter God's kindness and his love for us. When we're happy, we pray. Now, I'm not you know, saying that we need to go home and spend 20 minutes over grace, you know, Praising God for the food that we have so that the food gets cold and then everyone, I mean, everyone's been burnt by that before. But maybe we should do more than simply just repeat the prayer that we learnt as kids. Maybe there is a reminder here that as we celebrate the good gifts we have on our table, that we actually celebrate the giver who gave us those gifts. Praying, enjoying God, enjoying his care for us. As people are sick, we pray for them. Whenever they're sick, whatever they're going through, we stop and we pray and we pray knowing that God can, that he will, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. When we grasp the power of prayer, I think it's transforming for us. It means we'll fight to to pray, we'll hunger to pray, we'll enjoy praying, knowing that God is our Father who cares about us. Now this is something, I know that we've seen it every Sunday, or maybe you haven't, but every Sunday as you come in, Right, there's slides scrolling through at the front. And one of those slides is that there is a prayer meeting each, time, each Sunday here at 8 o'clock. When we grasp the, the weight of prayer, it's not guilt motivated to get there. Like, where have you been? You know, <laughs> were you there last week? We've got an attendance that we're ticking off there. Doesn't happen. But when we start understanding the power of prayer and what prayer does and the fact that God is inviting us to change the world through prayer, I think that's going to transform things like that. Now, again, your life stage might not allow you to be there. But that doesn't mean you can't pray at home knowing the power of prayer. right? See, God's invitation here this morning is to pray in all seasons. His invitation here this morning is to change the world through prayer. But as we started at the beginning, as I said, through this passage, we see that God's invitation here isn't simply to change the world through prayer. It's to change the world through our pursuit of the lost. And this is how James finishes the book of James, and it's how we'll finish as well. He says in verse 19 this, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from error of their, from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. God invites us to change the world through prayer and through our pursuit of the lost. God invites us to be a part of not just changing this world, but as we see and as we pursue the lost, changing eternity, right? And we see that in the weight of his words here there. When he talking, talks about the, um, covering a multitude of sins, the idea that he's getting at is just the weightiness of the fact that people need to know Jesus. He's speaking about the importance of us going after the lost, of pursuing the lost, remembering that it is a big deal to do this. And so God invites us to change the world through prayer and through our pursuit of the lost. But as we move through this passage, you can see the motivation to do this isn't guilt. 
And it's not like karma, right? We're not working, we're not praying and pursuing the lost because if we do enough good stuff, then God will be kind to us. And we're not doing this simply because this is what Christians do and we're not doing this simply for some other random reason like maybe we want to pay off this building so that's why we pursue the lost. We're not motivated by that. We're we're motivated by the spiritual realities that James gets at that we've seen right throughout this book. The spiritual realities that one day the judge will come back and he will hold us accountable for what we've done. The spiritual realities that there is a crown of life that Jesus will give to those who stand firm. The spiritual realities that heaven and hell are real and that the devil is trying to pull us away and to tempt us with worldly wisdom so that we can be a friend of this world. But God is better. The spiritual realities, as we saw last week, that Jesus will return that he will fix this broken world. And when he does, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is God. This is our motivation. This is our motivation to pray and our motivation to pursue the lost. It's the weightiness. It's the reality of what we say we believe. So this morning, as we finish up the book of James, God's invitation is here for all of us. He is inviting us to change the world. He is inviting us to be a part of something different, of something significant. He's inviting us to change the world through prayer and through our pursuit of the lost. The question is, will you take this invitation? Will you run with this invitation? Because God is giving it to all of us. Let's begin changing the world right now by praying together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you celebrating that we can call you Father. What a great privilege it is that we don't need big words or to wear a mask or to pretend that we can come in rawness and honesty knowing that you love us and that you care about us as our Father. God, as we pray to you this morning, we thank you that you are a God who hears our prayers, that you always hear our prayer, that you are a loving Father who cares about us and loves us. Father, thank you that you have created a means in which we can pray, in which we can change the world, that we can pray to you and that you hear our prayer and that you do stuff with that. God, we ask that you would help us to be a people that values prayer and that sees the importance of pursuing the lost. And we pray that our heart for this wouldn't simply be guilt or just because it's what Christians do, but that our heart for for this would be the weightiness and the spiritual realities that we believe that Jesus is king, that he will come back. And when he does, he will take with him only those who trust in him. Help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It only seems right now to sing and pray to our God, so please stand with us as we do this.